We're going to start off our, our prelude with a song that is a familiar TV theme from the 90s. Terry Hall was a British musician and songwriter, influential early member of the two-tone band The Specials. Two-tone music blended Jamaican ska and British punk and new wave. Multiracial bands sought to address racism by example, combating inequality through shows of solidarity. Terry is perhaps most well-known for writing the song Our Lips Are Sealed with Jane Weedlin of the Go-Go's. Terry spent his life creating music and working for justice and equality. Thank you. 
this town is coming like a ghost town. All the clubs are being closed down. This place is coming like a ghost town. Fans won't play no more. Too much fighting on the dance floor. Alan White was an outstanding drummer. Start we, again. I try to get my we my need on. your mic up, Chris. Yeah. Can I get my mic on? Hello? There I am. Hey. There I am. Okay. So, Alan White was an outstanding drummer who recorded 43 albums with the progressive rock band Yes. This song shows off his amazing chops. He also had a great sense of humor, but we'll talk about that a little later.
Thank you. Thank you. I invite you to rise in body or spirit for the call to worship.
with hope on our hearts and wings on our heels, we gather. With hope, we gather. What might be said of our individual lives, we ask. What exactly have I done that has mattered? What will outlast me? Difficult wonderings, especially since the things we alone have been responsible for are hardly any. Our legacy is not ours alone, not conceived by any one person. And so a better question to ask ourselves would be, how am I connected to this world? What are my relationships? What commitments have I made to these? No illusion of our own uniqueness, no autonomy and distinctness. We humans are social creatures. We gather in lives tangled in relationships. A spark of hope as we gather, interdependent and interreliant, we witness. We witness those who spend their days in service to our learning and growing, to making the world different and better and interesting. With hope on our hearts, we gather. So, am I on? Okay, I can never tell. <laughs> okay, so before joining the Yes, Alan White played with John Lennon on songs like this one. John called Alan out of the blue to join this plastic Ono band. Alan thought at first he was being cranked, a pranked, I should say, but clearly it worked out. Alan had a sense of humor of his own, which you'll hear in this song. Karma's gonna get you Gonna knock you right on the head You better get yourself together Pretty soon you're gonna be dead What in the world are you gonna do? Fuck you What in the world are you thinking of? Karma's gonna get you Gonna look you right in the face You better get yourself together, darling Join the human race How in the world you gonna see Laughing at fools like me Who on earth do you think you are? A superstar well, all right, you are. But we all shine on like the moon and the stars and the sun. We will all shine on. Come on, everyone. Oh, yeah. All right. Stop. 
you shining? <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Welcome to First Unitarian. I'm in, I am pleased to include you in this multi-generational service. We're so glad you're here. We enjoy having children with us, and we have special spaces for them. An activity table at the back of the sanctuary, the family room across the hall where the service is live streamed, and our new playground at the front of the sanctuary. We have a special service for you today. This is our 34th annual eulogy service in which we'll be remembering notable people who died in 2022. This service is a celebration, lifting up a few people whose lives may have touched ours in some way, even though we probably never met them and may not even have heard their names. Some of the people we'll remember today were well known, but there are many famous names missing from this service. For example, Madeleine Albright, Queen Elizabeth, Coolio, Gallagher, Thich Han, and Mikhail Gorbachev have been well memorialized in the media. Instead, most of the stories we'll, text, we'll tell today are of people whose lives had an outsized impact but who may have barely made it on to the public radar. Pioneers, scientists, heroes, and culture makers, all were human beings like us. Their legacies remind us of the power of a single life to touch others and of the interconnectedness of all people. Enjoy. For those of you who came in after we started the prelude, you may be noticing that Tanya Hopkins is not up here with us. We're very sad because she was going to sing several of these wonderful songs, but she came down with COVID last week. She's having a mild case, so she's okay, but we miss her dreadfully. So this song uh, I find especially poignant in these times when the Supreme Court has run amok with reproductive rights. This is by Loretta Lynn, who was herself quite socially conservative, but she scored a top five hit with her 1975 song, The Pill, even though it was banned on many, many radio stations at the time. Many rural physicians congratulated her for getting the word out about safe contraception. This is The Pill. One, two, one, two, three, four. You wind me and dine me when I was your girl. Promise that I'd be your wife. You show me the world. But all I've seen of this old world is a bed and a doctor bill. I've stayed at home while you had all your fun. And every year that's gone by, another baby's come. There's gonna be some changes right here on Nursery Hill. You set your chicken one last time, cause now I've got the pill. This Cause you kept it filled 
Reinhard was born on January 15, 1915, in Austria. As a young woman, she attended the University of Vienna and got married, moved to Poland, and had a son, and then the Nazis invaded. Reinhard's husband was killed, and she found herself imprisoned in a Nazi camp. But because she could speak flawless German and she knew shorthand, she was given a job as a secretary to a high-ranking officer. Oscar Schindler. He wasn't that great of a guy in many respects. He was known to be a womanizer and a heavy drinker who initially exploited Jews for cheap labor. But he became appalled by what the Nazis were doing and began creating a list of his essential workers so the Germans would spare their lives. Mimi Reinhardt was the person who typed and retyped Schindler's list, starting with 400 names and adding her own name in the process. She had never learned to type fluently, actually, but she created the list by typing with just two fingers. In the end, over 1,100 lives were spared. She and her son survived. She went on to remarry and have a daughter, and she eventually moved to Israel, where she died last year at the age of 107. <laughs> Clyde Bellancourt <laughs> co-founded the American Indian Movement, or AIM, in 1968, to help advocate for tribal sovereignty and better housing and opportunities for Native Americans in Minnesota and across the US. Their advocacy started local but became national and took many forms. For example, in 1972, AIM joined the Trail of Tr Broken Treaties. That walk began on the West Coast and ended in Washington, DC, where AIM and other groups demanded that the US government honor the treaties that it signed. Bellancourt was also one of the first to advocate against the use of racist names in the sports world. He called for the former Washington to change their name, and in 1992, he was part of a group that protested the Super Bowl headlining that Washington team in the Buffalo Bills. The team changed its name to the Washington Commanders in 2021 after years of advocacy. And I hope you're next, Cleveland Indians. 22-year-old Gina Massa Amini became a global symbol of freedom when she died last September after being arrested by Iran's morality police for dressing improperly. Her death set off waves of protests across Iran with women removing their hijabs, cutting their hair, and taking to the streets chanting women, life, freedom. It's hard to know what Amini would have thought about becoming a martyr to the cause of women's liberation. Amini was born into a Kurdish family. Massa was her Persian name. She graduated from high school in 2018 and had recently been accepted to a school where she had planned to become a lawyer. 
Her family described her as being shy and reserved and someone who avoided politics and activism. But her death most certainly revolutionized a movement for human rights and freedom and empowered many people to take a stand for justice. This is another hard story that would impact millions of people. Marie-Claire Chevalier was the 16-year-old child of a single mother in France when she was sexually assaulted by a classmate and became pregnant. It was 1971, and abortion was illegal in France unless the pregnant person's life was in danger. That law endangered Marie-Claire's life when she nearly died from the terrible and traumatic illegal abortion that was her only option for ending a forced pregnancy. When her attacker was charged soon after with an unrelated crime, he got out of being punished by turning Marie-Claire in for the abortion. He was released. She was arrested and imprisoned. This turn of events following laws that came from the Catholic Church was so egregious that celebrities and activists took it up. In her opening arguments, Chevalier's lawyer, Giselle Halimi, shocked the court by saying she herself had also had an illegal abortion and that sometimes you have to break the law in order to fix it. She was sanctioned for that, but she got Chevalier acquitted and soon abortion was decriminalized. Chevalier became something of a celebrity, but it was a role she did not embrace. It's not hard to understand the profound trauma she carried for the rest of her life. We honor her and everyone who can get pregnant by defending abortion care from religious restrictions anywhere and everywhere it comes under attack. Authoring Lucy Foster graduated with an English degree from Miles College in 1952. She applied to the graduate program in education at the University of Alabama, but was rejected because of her race. After a three-year legal battle, she was finally admitted to the university by court order. In 1956, Foster enrolled in a graduate program in education at the university. From the start, angry protests by white students ensued, and Foster and her escorts were pelted with rotten eggs as they moved from class to class. Foster was suspended three days later for her own safety, and she was later expelled. Regardless, she was still the first black student to enroll at University of Alabama. And in 1988, the University of Alabama's Board of Trustees voted to overturn its expulsion of Lucy, and she enrolled and received her master's degree in education on May 9, 1992, 36 years later. <laughs> Dorothy Pittman Hughes was born in 1938 in a small community called Charles Junction in Lumpkin, Georgia, in a house right by the railroad tracks that divided the white and black sides of town. In the 1950s, she moved to New York with a dream of becoming a nightclub performer. During that time, she worked as a singer, a salesperson, and a housekeeper, while simultaneously supporting the local community by helping to raise money to bail out incarcerated civil rights activists. It was when she became a parent that she understood the discrimination inherent when balancing work and parenting. She founded a daycare center on Manhattan's Upper West Side, where journalist Gloria Steinem learned about her work. The feminism of the 1970s was very white and middle class. And Gloria Steinem and Hughes became good friends. And together, through public speaking and direct activism and entrepreneurialism, 
reshaped the idea of feminism through an intersectional black feminist lens. The classic photo of the two of them raising a black power fist in solidarity became an iconic moment for activists around the country. Hughes' feminism was founded in what she knew as a universal need for safety, food, shelter, and childcare. She called out the racism in the white women's movement and through her friendship with Gloria showed that real relationships were possible. In the 60s, Motown was a driving force for integrating black culture into the mainstream of pop music. We lost two famous Motown musicians last year. Lamont Dozier was part of the legendary songwriting team Holland Dozier in Holland, and guitarist Joe Messina played with the legendary studio band, the Funk Brothers. This is I'm in a Different World. One. soul-saving things can take place in the most unexpected and even tragic circumstances. Love in its various forms, above all, can give us strength. Such was the case for Margot Hoyman. She was 15 when her family was rounded up by the Nazis and sent to a transit ghetto. There she met and fell in love with a girl from Vienna named Dita. At the time, there had been a movement across Europe to legalize same-sex love, but the rise of fascism had put a stop to that. So it seemed incredible, inexplicable, that although the two young women were moved from one concentration camp to another, they were moved together. Through all that happened to and around them, they had each other. 
1992, Margot said their relationship was what had saved their dignity and humanity. Although they went different ways and found other loves, when Dita died in 2011, Margot was by her side. And yet for most of their lives, the official story was that Margot and Dita were friends. It wasn't until a queer scholar of the Holocaust interviewed her in 2018 that Margot explained that they were much more than that. Afterward, in her 90s, Margot came out to her family too. She died at the age of 94, leaving an exceptionally good love story as her legacy. Urvashi Ved was a force. This LGBTQ activist died from cancer at the age of 63 after decades of work for equity. Her funeral itself gives a glimpse into her personality and life. The service started with a call and response chant like you might hear at a protest rally, complete with expletives, and ended with her coffin being carried out of the church with Patti Smith's song, People Have the Power, playing in the background. It seems that she was integral to every positive change that occurred for LGBTQ rights in the US. People who worked with her called her a visionary and an idea machine. She was never defeated, never tired, never done with creatively thinking about ways to work for people's rights. Her coworkers said that she'd be on an airplane heading to a conference and on the way, she would take that old school phone that used to be on the airplanes and she would call them and spew off a list of ideas for change. She went to Vassar College, came out as a lesbian, and organized the campus around every possible issue that was important at that time. She had a particular skill at making connections between things that seemed disconnected at the time. She would explain why HIV advocacy was racial justice, was human rights and women's rights. It was said that she wasn't just cheerful, she was ecstatic. And as her friends shared, she made life better for all of us. If there's a heaven, Irv is already organizing the angels. <laughs> Hale Zukis was diagnosed with cerebral palsy as a child. He learned to use an electric wheelchair and to communicate using a helmet-mounted pointer to point at a letter board and spell words. When he enrolled at, enrolled at Cal Berkeley to study mathematics, he joined the student group Rolling Quads. <laughs> Zukas became a leading advocate for the elimination of architectural and transportation barriers, especially in the Bay Area rapid transit. He led a movement in Berkeley to install curb cuts up and down Telegraph and Shattuck Avenues, and this created an extensive path of travel for wheelchair riders. In 1977, he and dozens of other activists with disabilities staged a historic 26-day takeover of San Francisco's federal building. They slept on the building's floor and refused to leave, demanding that the government enforce a law requiring equal rights and access to publicly funded services for people with disabilities. Zuka said, disability is not a tragedy. It is a tremendous hassle. <laughs> Gloria Allen was born in Kentucky in 1945. And while she fully transitioned as a transgender woman in the 1970s, she always said she'd really been out since the day she was born. 
You can probably imagine what it was like for a young black transgender girl in 1950s and 60s Kentucky. But Gloria's mother and grandmother saw her and were very supportive of her. They gave her guidance in the proper wearing of feminine clothes and makeup, never letting her settle for a subpar look. <laughs> Studies now show clearly that family support is the number one predictor of well-being for transgender kids. And Gloria went on to do well. She moved to Chicago and opened up a free charm school. There, she taught table manners, dating etiquette, job interview skills, as well as hygiene, dressing, and makeup to transgender young adults. Mama Gloria, as she was known throughout the community, was there to help her students find jobs and confidence. She touched so many lives. She inspired a documentary and a play and was named a living legend by the LGBTQ advocacy group GLAAD. She was a living legend for 76 years. Now she takes her place legendary among the ancestors. Ursula Belugi was born in Germany. Her family immigrated to the United States to New York to escape Nazi persecution. She attended my alma mater, Antioch College, and then went on to get a doctorate in education studying with Roger Brown, who was a psychologist who studied language development. Through her work with Brown, Belugi studied in depth American Sign Language, proving through her research that sign language was not just a random hand gesture, not just random hand gestures, but rather a language in and of itself, made up of complex linguistic structure and processed by the left hemisphere of the brain, as are spoken languages. Belugi, or Ursi, or Dr. B as she was known, was widely loved in the communities with which she worked. She continued oh. learning and studying and was a pioneer in investigating the patterns seen in those diagnosed with Williams syndrome, explaining how our brains mediate language and cognitive functions. Lois Curtis grew up with cognitive and developmental disabilities, which interrupted her schooling and created challenges for her family. She often walked away from school, which would result in her being incarcerated in jails and psychiatric hospitals. In total, she spent just under 20 years in institutions, starting from the age of 11 years old. She became the lead plaintiff in a suit against the Commissioner of Human Services of the state of Georgia. This case went to the Supreme Court, and the court decided in her favor in 1999. Justice Ruth Gins Bader Ginsburg wrote the decision saying, confinement in an institution severely diminishes the everyday life activities of individuals. After the decision, Curtis began to live in the community instead of in an institution. When asked about her life in 2014, she said, well, I make grits, eggs, and sausage in the morning and sweep the floor. I go out to eat sometimes. I take art classes. I draw pretty pictures and make money. I go out of town and sell me artwork. I go to church and pray to the Lord. I raise my voice high. In the summer, I go to the pool and put my feet in the water. Maybe I'll learn to swim someday. I've been fishing. I've seen a pig and a horse on a farm. I buy clothes and shoes. I have birthday parties. They are a lot of fun. I'm not afraid of big dogs no more. I feel good about myself. My life, a better life.
Let's do a little centering in prayer. I'm going to start with a quote from Frederick Beekner, a Presbyterian minister and a writer who was 96 when he passed away last year. Beekner wrote, Today is a moment of light surrounded on all sides by darkness and oblivion. In the entire history of the universe, there's never been another just like it, and there never will be another just like it again. It is the point to which all your yesterdays have been leading since the hour of your birth. And it is the point from which all of your tomorrows will proceed until the hour of your death. If you are aware of how precious it is, you could hardly live through it. Unless you are aware of how precious it is, you could hardly be said to be living at all. All other days have either disappeared into darkness and oblivion or have not yet emerged from them. Today is the only day there is. Frederick Buechner. Well, I think that that is such a big thought. We have to hold it lightly in order to hold it at all. Yeah. So I invite you into a few minutes of just gentle presence. Just breathing. And being gentle with yourself, however you are today. And just letting your mind rest in the present as the band plays us another song.
Let's lift up some prayers. We celebrate with Warren and Margaret Hayslip, whose newest granddaughter was just born in the Netherlands. We lift up the name of Dick Carruthers, who died one month ago on January 4th. Dick and his wife Karen were longtime members here and moved away to New York during the pandemic. A memorial service is being planned for July for here in Albuquerque. May light perpetual shine upon him, and we hold Karen in our hearts. And we lift up Allison Grady and wish for her speedy healing as she recovers from surgery. I invite you to call to mind the names of the people and places you carry in your hearts today and speak them aloud as the chime rings so that we can hold them with you. All these we lift up to the great powers of healing, renewal, and celebration known by many names. And in a morning full of stories of lives that were lived like prayers, we offer this simple spoken one. For the wounded, may there be comfort. Let the weary be held in love's hands. May the joy of the thankful be overflowing. Let none be lonely in our community. And may we tread gently upon this earth. Amen. Love be with you.
While in college in the 60s, John Roach had worked with refrigerator-sized mainframe computers. In the 70s, he got a job at a Texas conglomerate known as Tandy that had been founded as a leather goods company. At that point, though, Tandy owned many different things, including the electronics chainsaw Radio Shack. At the time, computer hobbyists could buy kits to assemble computers at home, but Roche figured that people would be glad to get a computer that they could just plug in. <laughs> it sold for just under 600 bucks, which would be about $2,700 today, and it quickly became the most popular computer on the market. And to help write the software code, he hired two kids named Bill Gates and Paul Allen, <laughs> who went on to found Microsoft. The TRS-80 was such a game changer that a model of it was later acquired for the Smithsonian National Museum of American History. Speaking of fossils, Kamoya Kimu was born in southeastern Kenya in 1940 into a goat herding family. At a young age, he left for Tanzania, where paleontologists were excavating Olduvai Gorge. Kimu was, Kimu was hired as a field assistant. He says that his upbringing in a rural town helped him understand the landscape and the work of finding bones. He said it was as if our ancestors were speaking directly to me. Over 55 years digging in Tanzania and Kenya, Kimu's finds helped unlock answers about life and human evolution, and many have said that he individually discovered more evidence of the existence of early humans than any other person. Kimu's work was celebrated around the world, but in his community, they were highly skeptical of his work because digging up the bones of ancestors is considered taboo, and because the idea of evolution was very controversial to many Kenyan Christians. In 1984, Kimu discovered his most celebrated find, the fossil now called Turkana Boy, an almost complete skeleton of an adolescent Homo erectus dating about 1.5 million years ago. This discovery was monumental. He will be rem remembered as a brilliant, kind-hearted leader who single-handedly changed our understanding of early humans. Here's somebody who helped uncover a different mystery of humanity. Herbert Benson was a Harvard-trained cardiologist who was curious about whether the mind can affect the body. He was doing research with monkeys in the 1970s, trying to train them to control their own blood pressure with a reward system, when a group of transcendental meditators found out about it and challenged him. Why train monkeys to do what humans can already do with meditation, they asked. Well, he, first he thought that that was pretty far out, and not in the cool 1970s way, <laughs> but in the I'm a fancy Harvard guy, what is this woo-woo nonsense kind of way. <laughs> but the meditators were persistent, and so, still somewhat embarrassed, Benson had them start sneaking through a side door after hours to do a little research that no one had to know about. <laughs> Turns out, though, the meditators were right. Benson's research was initially shunned by fellow scientists but he went on to write a best-selling book, and he launched the Mind Body Institute, which later became part of Massachusetts General Hospital. He taught that spiritual care and medical care are both beneficial and necessary for the body, each in its own way. 
That's pretty good. And there were other scientists also focusing on things that need more forceful interventions. Donald Pinkle, for example, was born and raised in Buffalo, New York, where he eventually went to medical school and became a pediatrician. And he happened to meet the entertainer Danny Thomas while Thomas was creating the St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Pinkle took a significant pay cut to become a founding member of the hospital. And he focused on acute lymphoblastic leukemia, which at the time was the most common form of cancer among children. His breakthroughs led to a 75 to 85% cure rate, and his approach inspired treatment plans that are still in use today. Arthur Riggs' father was a former farmer turned mobile par home park owner who once designed and built his own helicopter. His mother, a nurse, gave him a chemistry set at the age of 10. Between his two parents, Arthur Riggs was primed to innovate. He became a gen geneticist and was part of the team that not only found a way to synthesize human insulin for use by diabetics, but created the entire field of biotechnology. That access to artificial insulin has saved countless lives. Riggs also developed recombinant DNA technology capable of producing monoclonal antibodies that are the foundation for an entire class of drugs to treat cancer, as well as for treating severe cases of COVID. Tom Cornell's life was changed drastically one evening when he was sitting around listening to a presentation. He remembers nothing about the presentation itself. It was an outburst from the audience that jarred him out of complacency. Dorothy Day had been in attendance, listening to the same presentation, sitting, silently knitting, when she interrupted the speaker loudly to ask about justice and security for young people. In that moment, Tom, transformed by what he called Dorothy Day's radical witness, dedicated his life to peace through the Catholic worker movement. Tom specifically called his work that of a peace activist. As he said, in the Bible, we read, I was hungry and you fed me. It does not say, I was hungry and you formed a committee. <laughs> in 1956, he applied to be a conscientious objector. At that time, no one knew if a Catholic could actually qualify. Tom helped make the case. It took four years for him to get his exemption. Years later, just after it had become a felony to burn draft cards, Tom and three other peace activists publicly burned their cards in Union Square in New York City. How is it, he said, that a piece of paper is more sacred than a life? In his mid-80s, still working and mentoring young people, he won an award from Pax Christi as an ambassador of peace. He died last year at 88. This one's just nice. It was just after World War II, and Gail Halverson was an Air Force transport pilot passing through West Germany, when one day he saw some kids in ragged clothing watching him from the other side of a fence. He went over and gave them a few pieces of gum that he had in his pocket, and their eyes lit up so much he realized how much joy a small thing could bring them and how they needed it. He promised that when he came back in his plane, he would drop more candy for them. How will we know it's you, the kids asked. He told them that he would wiggle the wings. 
In the months that followed, Lieutenant Halverson, his crew, and other pilots dropped a total of 23 tons of candy wrapped in miniature parachutes as they approached their various landings. Halverson came to be known by the children of West Berlin as Uncle Wiggly Wings, <laughs> and by others as the original Candy Bomber. The playful gestures of goodwill became a symbol of reconciliation and healing. He lived to be 101. Many of us understand the Earth through the lens of the Gaia principle. This states that living organisms interact with their inorganic or non-living environment to form an interconnected and self-regulating system that perpetuates life on the planet. This theory, Gaia, was created by James Lovelock. In his 2006 book, The Revenge of Gaia, he argued that the lack of respect humans have for Gaia is testing Gaia's capacity to minimize the effects of the addition of greenhouse gases to the atmosphere. Many of his ideas were controversial, and even the Gaia theory has been challenged by serious scientists. Strangely enough, he was not concerned about climate change, to the point where he accused environmentalists of treating global warming like a religion. Despite his contradictions, he was a very influential thinker whose ideas live on. He lived to be 100. Picture this with me. It's 1969, and thousands of people are gathered at a farm in Bethel, New York, for three days of peace and music. 24-year-old Michael Lang is standing on a stage looking out over the landscape landscape of what he has created. And he's having a chat with the love and spoonful frontman, John, John Sebastian. All of a sudden, they can see one of Michael's volunteers running towards them at full speed in a panic. He gets to them and says, the fence is down. Folks are coming over the top. Michael takes a pause and says, well, I guess we now have a free festival. As John said, looking back, when something went wrong, Michael always could pivot and see the light. And as Michael himself said, life is full of experiences and not everything works out. But you keep trying or nothing works out. Woodstock came at a really dark moment in America, Lang said. An unpopular war, a government that was unresponsive, lots of human rights issues, Things were starting to ed towards violence for people. And along came Woodstock, which was a moment of hope.
end of this service and now we're at the section that we call rapid fire from the kindergarten files we said goodbye last year to Luis and Bob from Sesame Street Luis was actually Emilio Delgado and Bob was Bob McGrath and who are we kidding we still secretly liked Luis and Bob and Sesame Street after kindergarten <laughs> also we lost Anita Pointer last year who along with her sisters, the Pointer sisters, sang this iconic song for Sesame Street. From the 1980s middle school files, the inventor of the Trapper Keeper, E. Bryant Crutchfield, and the genius behind the scrunchie, Rami Hunt Revson, died this year. Thank you for keeping me organized and fashionable. We also lost the guy who pioneered the walking shoe. Bruce Katz was the founder of Rockport Shoes, and he provided sensible shoes to millions. That's Stephen Wilhite, the creator of the GIF, or GIF? Is it the GIF? 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 No one knows, no one knows. <laughs> Clayton Jacobson II was a banker who loved racing motorcycles, but hated falling on hard asphalt. So he invented the jet ski so he could fall on water instead. <laughs> and Willie Lee Morrow was the barber who invented the Afro pick in the 1960s right at the moment when many black Americans were embracing their natural hair. And for those who still wanted something different, he also invented the jerry curl perm technique, very popular in the 80s, although it was a white guy, Jerry Redding, who got the name on the credit. And the guy who composed the James Bond theme, Monty Norman, died this year. He had written music music for over 15 musicals and movies, was a successful singer, a writer, a choreographer, but he will be remembered for this. What a bunch of lives well lived. Mm -hmm. 
Well, today, we're hearing about people whose gifts touched many lives. You also have gifts and talents that you share, and you make a positive impact. We now have the privilege to join in this gifting to our church and our Change for the Future recipient, Street Safe New Mexico, a small all-volunteer organization that provides essential services for women who have been trafficked into the sex trade, many of whom are unhoused and need mental health or other health resources. You may place loose coins in the offering basket or use a pew envelope and mark it CFF. We will now gratefully accept the offering. Thank you so much for your generosity on behalf of the congregation and on behalf of our Change for the Future partner. Thank you, ushers. We have some invitations to share with you before we send you on your way today. And uh, Anna, you want to go first? Sure. 
Okay, oh, this is great. The African American History Exhibit continues in the Social Hall. If you haven't seen it yet, get over there, okay? <laughs> uh, it's an expertly curated exhibit, and, and it's open to viewing on Sunday mornings and select weekdays at various times. So check the calendar on the back of your order of service. Here's something that I personally have been helping to organize uh, along with Kristen. Um, Kristen, there she is. <laughs> uh, next Sunday at 4 p.m., we have the opportunity to impact an important piece of legislation that has been drafted but not officially posted yet for this legislative session here in New Mexico. It's legislation that would ban a common but unethical practice in medical schools around the country. It would, it would affect us here in New Mexico where students are expected to practice exams on unconscious patients, especially women who have not consented to that. 21 states have banned this practice, but New Mexico has not. Let me say, I've already talked to one physician, a beloved person in our congregation, who was not asked to do that when she was a UNM medical student. And I think we can all agree that for the humanity of doctors and patients, no one should be asked to do that. Um, so next Sunday at 4 p.m., we've organized a screening of a documentary about this, followed by a town hall with the filmmaker and with State Senator Antoinette Cedillo-Lopez, who is working on the bill, and we are also extending some invitations to medical school folks. EarthWeb will have a table with information about how we can uh, advocate for environmental bills and the New Mexico Green Amendment. These are being heard and debated in the New Mexico legislative session that lasts until March 19th. So stop by and see what you can do to support these helpful bills. It's the legislative session, so you know there's one more still. Thursday, uh, February 16th, our partner, uh, of which we are part, the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, is organizing a lobby day up at the Roundhouse. And everybody is invited to join them. Keep an eye out in our, for our e-broadsheet and next week's paper order of service for more information about how to register for that. You can go up and take part in educating legislators about reproductive justice and tell them how you feel about it. They need to hear it. Uh, all right, Whew. we love to welcome new visitors to this busy, busy place we have. Are there any first or second time visitors who would feel comfortable raising your hands so we can just welcome you? Hi, hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Very glad you joined us this morning. We hope you'll stay for coffee in the social hall after the service. And I also understand we had some new members sign the membership book this morning. Uh, Caitlin Chestnut and Ken Frink and Little Reed and Hazel, is that, there you are, hi, welcome. <laughs> and Yasmin Galbiso and Ty Durham, did I say your name right? Good. <laughs> welcome, welcome. We're so glad that you've decided to join the congregation. I invite everyone to rise in body or spirit and just greet one another by extending a hand of peace toward your neighbors. Welcome, peace to all. One, two, three. Good love. Good love. Sing with us. Good love. Good love. I was feeling so bad. 
May we all lead lives that cause us to be remembered with love. Go in peace, beautiful people.